0: the spotless blood of Jesus to redeem our life from destruction, to bring us out from under the power of darkness and deception and the lies of the enemy about our life. Bring us into the glorious light and the kingdom of your dear Son where there is a revelation of who we are in Christ, what we've been created for, and our eternal destiny. So we thank you for the blood That paid the price for our salvation. And that same blood that cleansed us from all sin. That we truly might leave the sin, the doubt, the hook of sin behind. And live in freedom from that sin, the guilt, the shame of it. Begin to live with a different framework and a different view of our life and of eternity. And so we thank you for your word. We thank you for utterance to speak as we ought to speak today. Give us ears to hear what you are saying to each and every one. Grant unto us a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you, that the eyes of our heart would be flooded with light, that we might know what is the hope of your calling. That in that light it shows up areas that we've not yet seen that need to be removed from our life. I thank you. Give us ears to hear things that you've not yet spoken to us that we might hear and understand with a greater measure. Give us eyes to see that which we've not yet perceived, that we might truly see what is before us and the plans that you have for our life. So we thank you. We praise you. Holy Spirit, I thank you for your presence in this place. That you'll do what only you can do. You know every heart. You know every life. You know every circumstance. You know why everyone is here, whether they came searching whether they came out of obedience or whether they came because they were drug here, you know why they're here, and you know how to deal with their hearts and let them know how much you love them and care about them. So I thank you that by the anointing, you bring healing and deliverance, revelation and freedom. We'll give you all the glory, all the honor, all the praise and all the thanksgiving for what will be accomplished by your word and your spirit in Jesus' name, Amen. Good morning, church. How are you this morning? Praise the Lord. It's a great day, great season to be alive. We're glad that you're with us this morning. Just really want to welcome you. I believe God has some uh, tremendous things for us as a church, for you individually. So why don't you look at somebody next to you and say, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And you can be seated. Praise the Lord. Uh, Once again, glad to see you. uh, If I'm assuming by that prayer, some of you were drugged here this morning. And uh, praise the Lord, we just read a couple of weeks ago a scripture that says, you know what, in a different translation, don't have God drag you kicking and screaming uh, into his will for your life, and really we should go willingly knowing that he has our best interests at heart always, and uh, praise the Lord. And so, uh, again, we want to jump into some things this morning, we have a lot... Uh, to share, and, and uh, the impact of it, I trust, will, will be long-lasting uh, in your life. You know, uh, uh, I heard years ago, many of you that have been here for a long time know this. We were in a men's conference years ago, and uh, the gentleman speaking uh, said, you know, he got up and he said, you know, that a casual observance of what you know could cost you your life in the last days. A casual observance of what you know. And so really, you know, I was just sitting there worshiping God that came back to me. It seemed like the Spirit of God said, you know, a casual observance of what you know could cost you your marriage in these days. A casual observance of what you know could cost you your health in these last days. A casual observance of what you know could cost you your finances in your last days. Yet, even as the church, we've become a little bit more casual concerning what God is saying to us. What God has to say to us is eternal. It's uh, eternally impactful. The Word of God will never uh, will never stand there in, in, in before Him and say, you know what, uh, I know I said that, but I really didn't mean it. Uh, the Word of God remains forever. It is forever established in heaven. He won't say, oops, my bad, but... Um, He saw the beginning from the end and the end from the beginning. And he knows everything in between. And when we step into eternal life, he's able to move in between in all of those things. And so uh, that casual observance of what we know, and I believe as we talk about turning points, I, I trust that you'll open your heart to it because many of us have ended up in situations that even as Christians, we're like, why am I here? Why is this happening? What is going on here? And really, if we stopped, We haven't really uh, been uh, put our, what maybe you'd say, your spiritual antennas or been keenly aware or tried to be keenly aware of how we're navigating or moving through life, how we got here, what we said that got this thing going, what we thought that got our decisions going, what what we, you know, in our health, what we were eating, uh, you know, that put us in this situation. And so because we're not thoughtful of the things of God, we're not mindful, we, we think God's things are like a church thing or when we get to heaven. But Jesus came to affect our day-to-day life. Life. He came to cause us to have an abundance of life, an overflow of life, a full life every single day, no matter what the what surrounds us, no matter what the attacks of the enemy are. He didn't say the enemy wouldn't attack you. He didn't say there wouldn't be days that would be difficult. He didn't he didn't promise any of that. Like I promise you won't we'll ever have a difficult day. Somehow we brought that in and said, If you if you make Jesus the Lord of your life, everything will be rosy. He never said that. He said, in the midst of difficulty, I'll be with you and bring you through it. He didn't say the devil will just go away. He just said he will not be able to run your life the way that he's been running. He didn't say sin would disappear. He just said the sin would no longer dominate your life and have dominion. But if we yielded ourselves to him and his word, him and his word would have dominion. And we've misunderstood some of that. We thought that we would just kind of slide in and, and pray a prayer and slip off to heaven when that time came. But that reduces what Jesus did for us to next to nothing. And we're trying, we get an escapist mentality that if I can just hang on until I die and escape from here, and God's not an escapist. God doesn't want you to think, man, the devil's got such control here, if I could just slip on out. He wants you to know that you have authority over all the power of the enemy. So nothing shall by any means hurt you, right? That's what he wants us to know day to day, that though he's here, he can't come kill, steal, and destroy what God has planned for your life. But he can if he can deceive you. He can if you just like, well, you know, church is one thing, God's something. We'll we'll get to that whenever we get to that. No, the devil will run roughshod over your life, and you'll question Christianity. You'll question God. Why is this happening? But we've never given. We're like, God, why don't you do something when we're not doing anything, moving it in the right direction. Some people say, I'm doing a lot. Then you should be seeing the results of that. Say, well, the devil's still attacking me. Well, if you understand that, then you'll put a stake in the ground and say, no more. You might attack, but I will defend. And I have the full armor of God. I have the full resources of heaven. I have the authority, and I have the blood. So here we go. Let's do this. Come on, we get a confidence and say, it's time. It's time. You want to you mess with this. You don't want to tangle with Jesus again. You don't want to tangle with the Holy Spirit. He's counting on the fact that we don't know. Why? Because we've heard, but we've gone out and we've allowed him to quickly steal it because we get distracted by something else automatically, or almost immediately, rather than storing it in our heart. And so I believe that we're going to have turning points in our life. I believe that in the next three years, two years, uh, God's doing things to create a turning point in our life so that as the church and individual members of that church, we find our place, we begin to see the glory of God transforming our life, and we're able to figure out where our sphere of influence is, and we're able to say, that is where God's called me. I will possess that. I will begin to influence people with the light of the gospel. I'll take that boldness and say, you've called. I won't try to get out of here into something more comfortable. You've put me here to do something powerful that these people might know Christ. What a turning point. And not running from it, but running into it. Running through a troop, jumping over a wall to say, this is where you've called me. This is the place. I will dwell in this land. I will feed on your faithfulness. Amen. And so we've been talking about some of these things. We've been talking about our prayer life and committing it to God, committing our whole of our life to God. I want to wrap that up today if I can uh, in, in not so nice of a package if it goes to the first, uh, like the first service. But uh, I'll try to wrap it up in the fact that we're committing our ways to Him. We're, we're putting that out there uh, to Him so that He can do some things uh, incredible, direct our paths in the way that He wants us to go. And so 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, we'll just start right there. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says that any man that be in Christ, in other words, any man that has accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord of their life, Savior of their life, the Bible says, then you are engrafted or immersed into Christ. And so God's design is that you become one with him, that I'm in Christ, Christ is in me. One of the, the, the great deceptions of the enemy is I got saved, I'm going to heaven, he's out there somewhere, I'm right here. But the Apostle Paul said, you know, there when he was in Athens, Greece, he sat up there and he said, you all have this unknown God, uh, but I know him. And not only do I know him, but it's in him that I live, in him that we move, in him that we have our very being. He's not afar off somewhere, but he's in us and we're in him. We're intertwined in that. Who are you in Christ, not who have you been Outside of Christ. So any man that be in Christ or engrafted into Christ is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Somebody say old things have passed away old things have passed away and behold everything has become new and now everything is of God who has reconciled us to himself. He's given us a ministry of reconciliation and he goes on and then he ends up in 21 and says, "Uh, he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So that reconciliation means right relationship. So if you're in Christ then you've been reconciled. Sin broke relationship. In sin we were apart from God. I know this is very basic but I want to get to a point that you may think is basic, but I believe the Holy Spirit's going to hit you right in the heart at some point in time throughout this year, hopefully sooner than later, and it's going to impact you and it's going to change. Uh, there's going to be a turning point in the way you see life, the way you live life, the impact, the anointing, what God is doing in this generation. it will even rise up that you'll begin to speak yeah. things that you never thought that you would say. As the word of God goes down into your heart, it'll swell, it'll grow, and it will come out with an impact that what you speak, you'll speak with a boldness. And then you'll stretch forth his hand right after you speak that word. And signs and wonders would be wrought in the name of Jesus. And so we're living in a fantastic day. No matter what the world says, the church needs to know that we're not peripheral to the world, but the world is peripheral to us. And those old things passing away are determinant in us understanding that a new man has emerged, a brand new man in Christ. And so that reconciliation means right relationship. Righteousness means right relationship. So we love that. We, we, We were created to be with him, not apart from him. So we've looked at that as a right relationship with God. We just have fellowship with God. But part of right relationship means this, right order. Right order. So many times believers pray a prayer, they say, now I'm righteous, I'm in relationship with God. But what is that relationship? So over a period of time, over some doctrinal things that have taken place, subtly the enemy has convinced many Christians that, you know what, I like it this way, I like it that way, there's this philosophy and that philosophy, and they pull it together to make it so Jesus is the Jesus they believe in, the Jesus that works for them. The Jesus that works for my past, my motion, my relationship, and, and, and so the relationship is now not righteous. Why? Because it's in the wrong order. We are actually Lord, and he saved us. But we still tell him how we want to live, but he gets us to heaven. So we really aren't understanding righteousness in the proper way, because he restored us to right relationship, which means right order, which means... Jesus is Lord, and if we can begin to have a revelation of Jesus as Lord, habits, past hurts, past wounds, past things will be broken off, they will be left behind, old things will pass, and the very new things of the Lordship of Jesus and His plan will emerge. And whether or not you prayed that prayer many years ago, many Christians do not, they have the revelation of Jesus, save me, I'm going to heaven, but they have not yet grasped the revelation of him being Lord of my life. Not of my church life only, Lord of my life. And so when he's the Lord of my life, then he gets to be the Lord over what I think, He gets to be the Lord over what I say. He gets to be the Lord over what I eat. He gets to be the Lord over how I conduct business. He gets to be the Lord over where I serve, how I serve, when I serve. And because he hasn't really been lord over all of our life, we've been lording over some areas. We fall into to traps of the enemy, and then we start to blame God. I've gone to church. I've read my Bible. But in this area of business, I do it my way, and all of a sudden, things break out, and we're like, What happened there? Where were you, God? But he he wasn't Lord over the decision-making. We have things happen in our marriages where where we're like, what happened here? But we didn't let God show us how to be the husband that we should be. Watch our speech, how we care for our wife, how we nurture, how we cherish her, how we we, uh, build her up. We didn't let the Lord be the Lord or, or, or master over us as wives and how we respect and how we honor, how we live our life. And all of a sudden, it's blowing up and we're like, what's happening here? Why isn't God? doing something we never let him be the lord of our marriage of our business life of our thought life we're running down the road I can't help but think this I, I, I just can't control it why then your thoughts are lording over you but when we capture those thoughts well how do I do that The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. You don't just simply try to capture them. By the Spirit of God, you begin to allow grace to cause you to think differently. Well, how do I think differently? I intake differently. I intake information differently by the Word of God. Well, you don't understand. I'm just wired to to think, 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 think. Well, okay, but that's really not what the Bible says. The Bible doesn't discern you're a thinker and you're not. So you're going to think a lot of bad thoughts because you can't help it. You're a thinker. But you're not. No, he doesn't say that. He says, I've given you the ability to capture every thought and bring it into the obedience of Christ. The problem is if we don't know what Christ said and what's obedient to Christ, the thoughts begin to run and do whatever they want. They begin to deceive us and think, well, this is what you're thinking. This must be what God wants for you, and we don't even know what the Word says. So we bring ourselves into that lordship. We begin to study His Word. We begin to meditate on His Word. We begin to bring all of that into the place where we say, I'm submitting this to you. I'm submitting this to you so that He can be the Lord of our life. Turn over to Romans chapter 10. So we can live in this new creation life. I'm just going to ask you this question. You don't have to raise your hand or anything. I just want you to think for a moment. Everyone here would probably have a different answer. That If you're here and you've prayed the prayers to say, Jesus, come into my life, be the Lord of my life. Now, you might have done it just to get to heaven. We will explain a little bit of that today. But if since you've prayed that prayer... You might have had some things change, you might go to church, but literally you say, there's a lot of old things still in my life, a lot of old things, old way of thinking, old feelings, old hurts that still exist in my life. Now, you don't have to raise your hand, but if that's you, we haven't gotten a revelation of what Jesus did for us and we can softly start to say well you you have to, i understand i deal with people every single day i am a person i know you might not think that i am but i am a person i've had tragedy hit my life i've had loss hit my life uh, i'm tempted by things so i understand i've been wounded by things that the enemy has tried to come and run roughshod with those things But the Spirit of God, when you get into the Word of God, He says, listen, you cannot let that have authority over your life. I am here, and I will help you if you let me. And if you will take the authority that I've given you in this new life, the old life will pass away. And what the blood of Jesus did not only took care of Adam's sin and its effect on you, It took care of your sin and its effect on you. And it also took care of others, people's sin against you. Come on, sometimes we get, my sins are forgiven. We don't really understand how Adam's sin really affected us. The Bible tells us. But boy, people sin against us and that's a tough one. But the blood was able to break it all. In one fell swoop. Bam. Break it, wash it, cleanse it, remove it. For what purpose? So you could have a newness of life. Without all that being drugged behind, you have a brand new life in Christ. And so the Word of God, the Spirit of God is so much there to help us. But when we relegate it down, all right, I'm going to read the Word of God, but then I'm going to figure it out for myself based on my circumstance, my feeling, my emotion, we begin to lord over how the Word should work in our life once again. But when we take it in and we allow the Holy Spirit to translate it into our life and we begin to see and become obedient to it, that obedience puts us in an immediate place of authority, past, present, and future things that have happened. Our obedience to the Word. So we'll show you that in just a minute. All right, so um, where is Romans chapter 10. Now this may seem very basic to most of you, but I'm, I'm believing God. Uh, he brought it up strong in my heart to uh, talk about this today, to bring this turning point together, that when we get it uh, more so in what we talked about uh, last week, these these uh, moments in time culminating together, these watershed moments, God bringing them together, supernatural things will happen, that as we understand the presence of God, the anointing of God, things will come upon us, we'll find ourselves speaking, prophesying, not in, not, you know, people are just like, I have a word, no, we'll, we'll come into a place and we'll firmly, by the Spirit of God, speak something into somebody's life for change, not for our ministry, but for change in their life. A declaration of the word of God. Not like, let's say the Lord, I got something for you because I'm a prophet. No, because we're walking with God and then we realize, I got something to say right here. Amen. And they look and say, I receive it. Not like a hookah mashundi. We just know, right? We're not building, a, we're serving him. Amen. Amen. And so we begin to walk on places and know and do as the occasion demands just keeps coming up in my heart as I pray. The church needs to learn so they can do as the occasion demands. We can do as the occasion demands. Praise the Lord. And so we can't do as the occasion demands if he's not Lord. Because we won't know exactly what he wants to do in that moment. And when when we override what he wants to do, then we won't do as the occasion demands, and we won't see the results that he has desired to bring, to bring about, which means the salvation, deliverance, and freedom of people. Right? He's concerned about that in this day because Jesus is coming soon. Jesus is coming soon. Fields are wide unto harvest. And so the, the people are looking at the church and they're saying, you don't look that much different than us. And even the church has tried to adapt itself to look more like the world, to draw people. But the book of Revelation tells us this. Man, I'm going on a real tangent here. Um, The book of Revelation tells us this with seven churches. It says, look at what you've done and watch where you're slipping. And some of them, he says, you've become so much like the world, you have no more influence. You may have drawn them in, but now you're acting like them. You have no more eternal influence on the world. And so the church has come and said, we'll do it our way, we'll do what feels good, we'll draw a little bit of the world, and then people will like us, they'll be more comfortable with us, and we'll reach more people with the gospel, but it's not the gospel of Jesus Christ and Lord of our life. It may say, now now you get to go to heaven even if you live this way, but it's not really about the Lordship and living differently and living a full life free from the things that have taken place. Whether Adam sin, your sin or people sinning against you. And he wants you free from all of that to recognize a newness of life where you have power. You're not lorded over. You have power. How many of you like a little bit more power? <laughs> Come on. So... Uh, Romans 10 verse 8, it says, but what does it say? The word is near you, it is in your mouth. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if you'll confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus or proclaim with your mouth Jesus as master. I give up my old way of life under sin and the mastery of sin and my own thought process dominating what I think I want to do. And now I'm saying, I believe you should be master Why? Because I believe in my heart that you died for my sin, that God raised you from the dead, that I might be justified, forgiven, washed, and cleansed, just as if I had never sinned. I believe that. So because you died, raised from the dead, justified me, you did what I could not do. I believe you should be Lord, not me. And certainly I don't want sin to lord over me in death and destruction. So he said, with a heart one believes unto righteousness, with mouth confession is made unto salvation. Turn over to Romans, the 6th chapter. He explains to us how this works in the 6th chapter. The 5th chapter, the 17th verse says like this. If you receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness, you'll reign in life with or through one Jesus Christ. In other words, when you receive this into your heart, you totally receive it. You don't just think, oh, that'd be nice. You receive it into your heart. The abundance of his grace, his empowerment, his favor, his influence into your heart And the gift of righteousness, restoration of right relationship. So when you receive, I'm in relationship with God. He is Lord. And because he's Lord, he's given me his influence, his favor, and his grace. I'll follow him with that equipment. He says, you'll reign in life. You'll reign over the things of life that come your way. Not just by yourself, but through him and with him, you'll reign in life. So his whole idea is all this stuff that's going on in life is not reigning over you. It's not coming into your life, dominating your thought, dominating your sleep life, dominating your activity. It's not forcing you to eat wrong, live wrong, think wrong, uh, worry wrong. He, He said, I want you to reign over all that stuff. And even many Christians just go, I can't help it. He says, I want you to know you can help it. I've empowered you to help it. I've empowered you not just to help it, but to overcome it. I mean, one moment we think, I'm living a pretty good life. And two days later, my God, the world's falling apart. Six days later, well, it was falling apart, but it's not too bad. And so why is it so up and down? Because he's lording over you. He'll decide decide through your thought process, through circumstances, when I want it to be good. And about the time I lift you up, I'll take you down. It's the strategy of the world. We can see it in the press. They'll build somebody up, and the same person they build up to be famous is the same one they'll cut right down. The enemy will build you up, he'll take you down, but God is there to build you up and to hold you in a place of authority and power over the enemy so you can experience life with him, even in the midst of all the problems, even though Adam sinned, even though you sinned, even though people sinned against you, he gives you the ability to be more than a conqueror and a victor rather than a victim in Jesus Christ. How many of you would rather be a victor than a victim? Come on, we live in a victim society. It's promoting everybody that you were a victim of something. But I'm a victim of the cross of Jesus Christ, which brought me to victory in him. So Romans chapter 6, verse 1, it explains to us what happened. It says, this is what happens. uh, uh, Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized, verse 3, as many... uh, As many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in a newness of life. Whoo! Free. Come on. Now, I know people here, you'll say, Well, listen, I've tried this, and uh, I know, and Jesus has been Lord of my life. I'm still struggling. And I have God has mercy and compassion on that. Don't, fors- don't mistake my boldness for lack of mercy. My boldness is to try to shake you a little bit and say, no, come on, don't let the devil do that to you anymore. Don't let the devil do that to you anymore. My heart goes out where where the enemies deceive somebody and they just can't seem to get over the top of that, yet it's right there. It's just right there in Christ Jesus. He said, we have this newness of life. Verse 5, for if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, See, you can't have a resurrection without a death. So the old man has to pass away. The old man. Now listen, we got the old man too often on life support. Too often on life. Well, I want to be saved, so I crucify the old man. But just in case I need him next week, we just keep him a little bit alive in our thinking, those habits and all that stuff, we keep him on life support. It's like a bad horror movie. You know, I, I only saw it once, and this was a long time ago. Now there's been 62 different ones. But, you know, all these suspense movies, these, these cop movies, you know, the bad guy uh, horror movies, I, I mean, how many times do you have to kill them? I mean, you kill them and they're dead on the floor. You go to get something, you come back, they're not there. Oh, my God, they're still alive. You shoot them 52 more times, they're dead. You go to get something, you think, "Whoo, I'm good. Yeah, oh, they're still alive. I mean, they're always still alive. That's like our old man. It's like we killed him, we crucified him. Ah, oh, but he's still alive. But the old man, ah, oh, he's dead. At Sunday he was dead, by Wednesday he's alive again. Come on, whom the sun sets free is free indeed. If we are crucified with Christ, nevertheless we live, but it's not us. It's not the old man that died. He didn't get back up. A new man raised up. A different kind of person in Christ. Come on, he died, but many times we don't reckon him dead. We mentally ascend, but if we could put our faith in the fact that that life is dead, so I forget about it. I forget about it. This is not a life we mourn. It's dead and it's a good thing. And now I focus on the new man, the newness of life. For if we've been united together in the likeness of death, we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with. Somebody say done away with. Not lingering out there somewhere, but done away with. By the power of the blood. That we should no longer be slaves of that sin. In other words, sin no longer being Lord. For he who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ having been raised from the dead dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives unto God. Likewise. You and I should reckon ourselves to be dead indeed to sin. Dead indeed to sin. Dead indeed to sin. Not kind of dead, not sort of dead. I can't help but think about it. Uh, kind of dead. No, I'm dead. So I tried to do that, but it just keeps coming back. I want you to get to the point that you just, you, you once and for all say, that's no longer a part of my life. No longer a part of my life. I put my faith in the new life of Christ. And when the enemy comes and says, no, 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 that's not, you want to do that, you want to react this way, we're able to say, how can I react that way? That is dead to me. So I have trouble with that. As we get into the Word, we realize that, and we're not just reading, we're not just memorizing, we're not just religious. Wisdom and revelation coming to me, that my heart is enlightened concerning who I am, what Christ has done that I can set it aside once and for all. That it makes me, it's a newness of life, a different kind of life, a different quality of life. It makes me a different husband. makes me a different father. For me, it makes me a different pastor. It makes me different as I start to see it, walk in it, understand it, say things different than I used to, think different than I used to because I see a thought now. I capture that thought. That's not the right thought. I capture that thought. But before, when I wasn't thinking about my thoughts, I hadn't given him lordship of my thoughts. I would just think all day and end up down here having thought that process. But when I said, you be lord of my thoughts, I start thinking and say, wait a minute, that's not you. I got to stop that thinking right now. Wait a minute, I got to stop talking like that right now. So I'm not just preaching at you. I'm trying to tell you over this course of of services. That's why, don't miss one. How we get into the Word, how we pray, how we interact with Him. So that if we do that consistently, it's going to start. It's very simple, yet in a a seemingly difficult situation. So when I think something, I submit that to Him. He's Lord. Should I be thinking that? Instead of going, I can't help it. I'm just going to think this way. Should I be thinking this way? No, you shouldn't. I'm going to capture it. You capture it, it starts running. Well, how do I capture it? I capture it with the Word of God. This is why you're a wrong thought, because Jesus said this about me. I'm throwing you down, I'm thinking about this. I'm meditating on this. Why did I say that? Because I wanted to. I just say what I need to say. Well, you're declaring some stuff that doesn't need to be declared, and it's going to have an end result in your life. Because when you declare a thing, it's established. Well, I didn't mean to establish it. Then watch what you're talking about. Don't tell your wife you think you'd be better without her. You might be one day. Stop saying it. Say you couldn't live without her. She's just awesome. Quit saying that about your husband. All right, we'll step on toes. I'll just keep reading. That was was a little rough. Sorry. Just... Just trying to flow with the spirit here. Stay out of people's marriage. (laughs) Hallelujah. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him that the body of sin might be done away with... That we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But for the life for but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you reckon yourself to be dead indeed to sin, but alive unto God, unto Jesus Christ our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies, that you should obey it in its lust. Highlight that and underline that. Obey it in its lust. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present your Yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you're not under the law, but you're under grace. You've just received this abundance of grace, this empowerment, favor, uh, and influence of God. You're no longer just trying to go, I got to do that, I got to try to do that, I got to stop doing that. No, you have grace that empowers you to move forward so you don't obey sin. You've given your life to the righteousness of God, that right relationship, a great relationship where he's Lord, you're not. So we follow his ways, think his ways. So uh, uh, Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. So he said, we died with him, we raised with him. So he says right here, if you then were raised with Christ... Seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. It's not hidden from you, it's hidden for you in Christ. In, in the reality of who you are in Christ is where your life is. It's not hidden there away from you. He's opened up access to his very presence to learn who you are, what he's done for you, and how your life is now to be lived. It's all within His Word. And so in verse 4, He says, When Christ who, appears is our, uh, who is our life appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. He says, Therefore, in other words, because of this, put to death your members which are on the earth. He said, Don't set your mind on things on the earth. Set them on things of heaven. So then he says, these are things on earth that are messing with your members. Fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desires, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. He said, now you've been raised with Christ. You no longer live in these things, so don't give them any attention. Sometimes we're thinking about how we're going to stop doing all this. He said, quit giving them attention. The way you kill those things off is quit giving them attention. How am I going to stop doing that? How am I going to stop immorality? How am I going to stop all this stuff? By not giving it attention. Giving him attention. Giving his word attention. Giving the thing he's calling you to serve attention. Giving his ways attention. Giving his thoughts the attention. He goes on to say this, he says, and and you have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge. He talks about putting off the old man, uh, verse 10, and put on the new man, which is renewed in the knowledge uh, according to the image of him who created him. Where there's no Jew, Greek, slave, free, Scythian, but Christ is all in all. Therefore, as the elect of God, did you know that you were the elect of God? Come on, you're the elect of God. You're not just some schmo on the street somewhere. He chose you, He elected you. Come on, you're the elect of God, holy and beloved by God. Talk about that prayer time sitting with Him. What does He think about you? He thinks you're beloved, He thinks you're accepted, He thinks you're forgiven. People are afraid, you know, somebody said the other day after we talked about that prayer, invite him into your life, uh, uh, give three things that you're, you, you're thankful for, uh, uh, give him the things that you're struggling with, then ask him, what do you think about me? Somebody said, I asked him that. He said, I was a failure. Well, you're not listening to the right voice. Jesus didn't say that about you. And that's where we have to learn. You have to go back to the word and then go, oh, he didn't say that about me. He said, I'm beloved. He said, I'm forgiven. He said, I'm more than a conqueror. That's what he thinks about me. That's why you need the Word of God as you even go into prayer, because the Word and the Spirit will agree, but the enemy will try to creep in there and go, Jesus thinks you're a failure. No, he doesn't. He doesn't think you're a failure. Yeah, but I failed in that area. That doesn't make you a failure. Well, I sinned in that area. That doesn't make you a sinner. He washed you and made you the righteousness of God in Christ. Praise the Lord. So he goes on to say, put on uh, these things, uh, kindness, humility, meekness, Long-suffering, bearing with one another, forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave, you forgive. Above all these put on love. I mean, there's enough there to concentrate on to keep you busy for a week. Why go back and try not to sin when you've got so much other stuff to think about? Why try to think about what somebody's done with you done to you when you can think about forgiving them and loving them? That's what he wants us to do. He wants us to do. He's cleansed us from our past, and He wants to empower us. We can see over and over and over where Jesus encountered people. You know, some of the most famous that we see, you know, John in in, in chapter 8, the woman who was caught in the act of adultery, they wanted to stone her to death. And Jesus wrote in the sand, they all walked away, dropped the rocks, and He said, "Where, where are they that condemn you? She said, they're nowhere, Lord. He said, neither do I condemn you. In other words, I forgive you. I don't condemn you. So we look at that, but then what what was the next statement he said? He said, go and sin no more. And and we don't see a record of, she said, well, how am I going to do that? How am I going to do that? No, when you encounter Jesus' forgiveness, it immediately washes you. He didn't even have to warn her in a sense like, now you're going to be tempted to go back to adultery. Nope, she came and followed him. Man at the pool of Bethesda. Uh, Jesus, you know, he said, do you want to be healed? The, the guy said, nobody to put me in. Jesus said, rise, take up your bed and walk. Well, Jesus disappeared into the crowd, but Jesus intentionally later came and found him. He said, I'm the one who healed you. You're healed now. Go and sin no more, lest the worst thing would come upon you. Well, he didn't say this is going to haunt you all your life. He said, I want to let you know that you can walk free from the very thing that would try to come upon you and affect your health. See, sometimes we get doctrine coming in that says, you know, i got to work through all this stuff I just got to. But there's a place. And again, if you don't grasp that, everybody, again, I have compassion for help. but, But how awesome to recognize that that day I made him the master of all things, he broke the power of any sin over my life. I don't have to go back to that. I don't have to go back to that. And because I'm set free from the slavery of sin and how it brought thoughts and consumed my emotions and my thoughts and my feelings, and now that I'm free, I have the ability to see the word differently. And when I see it differently, I have the ability and the grace to obey him. Now listen, it works on both principles. So he said this, he said, listen, if you understand that you're free from the old nature and the flesh, he said, you no longer obey it. So in other words, the flesh, the old nature, gains power to enslave you. When you feel those thoughts, you think those thoughts, and then you follow them, you obey them, they begin to cycle and dominate your life. Well, I did that. This is how the enemy likes to work. You know, I'm, I'm living, I'm, I'm all for God, but I get tempted by this thing, and I know I shouldn't, but, you know, I've been doing really good for God, and I shouldn't, but then we give place to it, and then we come back and we're like, Wow, I didn't get struck with lightning. I didn't die. In fact, nothing really happened. No biggie. So it comes back again. Well, since nothing happened, I'll be okay. And then the next time, I start thinking about it more. And then it becomes part of my daily thought, my daily habit. But it's six months down the road, a year down the road, when things are coming apart that I can't resist it, that I'm like, how in the world did that happen? I've been serving God. No, we obeyed a desire. We obeyed a lust of the flesh, and it started to dominate us. At the same time, when we obey God, all it is is a simple act of obedience to say, yes, Lord. And now in that obedient act, the Bible says, don't be just a hearer, but a doer. When we act upon it, he starts showing us, we start thinking about it, the blessing that comes in the doing, how how even though things are coming against us, we're moving through that and we begin to dominate. This is how powerful obedience is. That clear back in Genesis, you know the story of Cain and Abel. Abel offered a great sacrifice. uh God came to Cain. Cain didn't want to offer blood sacrifice. He wanted to offer grain. And he said, God, I'm just going to do what I want to do, not what you want me to do. And he got mad at God. And God came down to him and he said, Cain, why are you mad at me? Why has your countenance fallen? You have no reason to be mad at me. You know what you should do. You know what's right. But you're insisting on Your way is righter than my way, or you should be able to do it your way, and I should accept it. In other words, he was trying to make God the God he wanted him to be rather than the God he was. Subtle idolatry. God should accept things my way. God should accept that I come to church once every year, and I'm a Christian. He says, yeah, you should fellowship more than that. Well, God accepts me. Well, he accepts you, but he doesn't affirm that activity. Now, listen what he said to him. He said, if you do right, will you not be accepted? He said, sin is right now. In this decision-making process, sin is at the door. If you obey me, you will rule it right now. This is before Jesus. If you obey me, you will rule it right now. If you disobey and obey your own desires, you'll become a slave of it. Listen, if that happened before the old covenant, before Jesus Christ, how powerful is just saying, you're the Lord, yes, to shut him down? I believe with all of my heart, some things came forth in first service. By the Spirit of God, I believe with all of my heart that if you'll hear what the Spirit of God is saying today about Jesus being Lord, You begin to adapt in in, in your prayer time and your study time. Look at that and say, help me to understand, and I will obey. I want you to be the master, the guide of my life. I don't want to do this all my way and what makes me feel good. Like Alan said, break out of my comfort zone and do what you say. That there's going to come a point, whether this week, next week, weeks to come, maybe mid-year, that all of a sudden there's going to be a turning point. You're going to see that obedience to God has turned things around. Your understanding of hearing what the Spirit of God is saying, understanding what God is saying to you will start to position you in places of life, of marriage, of help, and all of a sudden you'll know just like, uh, uh, um, uh, um, what's his name, uh, Saul, King Saul, you'll know You'll know what to say and you'll do as the occasion demands and you'll find yourself in situations and and a sphere of influence where you know I've come to bring light to this situation. You'll find that you begin to speak something that came out of your heart because you've studied the word of God and it will penetrate with authority and power to people's hearts and lives. You'll find that you stretch forth your hand and signs and wonders will be wrought in the name of Jesus. You'll see that I'm walking more free than I've ever walked before because my past has no hold on me. The blood of Jesus. Jesus was more than enough to cut every past thing away from my life and set me free to walk in a place that I could effectively, by the blood of Jesus, minister truth and life. The power of the living God. Come on, when he's Lord, the old things pass away. Not kind of pass away. Totally pass away. Totally pass away. Come on, if he's forgotten them, why are you dredging them back up? Come on, he'll help you to forget them. If he's helped you to forget them, don't let anybody dredge him back up. Jesus is Lord. He'll lead and guide you into all the truth. Show you things to come. 2 Corinthians 3.18, where we allow the Spirit to be Lord, there's liberty. As we look into the mirror of the Spirit of God, we say, you're Lord, show me. And It shows us a reflection of who we are in Christ Jesus and in that with Him being Lord. He begins a transformation process from one degree of glory to the next, even by the Spirit of living God. And you'll begin to realize and you'll begin to see and you'll begin to know what you don't see right now. And that is the glory of the Lord being risen upon your life in such a way that I've been changed into a place where the glory of the Lord is more radiant about my life than the way that that it used to be, and when I truly see the glory of the Lord rising upon me, the glory of the Lord transforming me even into a different person, I will know and I will recognize how to do as the occasion demands. Come on, without Him being Lord, we'll make our own decision, our own thought, our own way, and affect people's lives more adversely than positively. Because it's man's way, not God's way. Why not you stand up with me? Father, we thank you. We praise you. We do magnify and glorify you. I ask you to help us, each one of us, no matter what our station in growth or life is, to be reminded of this place of lordship. That we truly might bring everything and submit it before your word, before the spirit of God. Before you. Teach us, Holy Spirit, how to do that in real time, in lifetime. As we walk with you every single day. So many at the beginning, we prayed that prayer, maybe not even recognizing fully what that meant. I pray that you help us to understand that we're not just trying to get to heaven here, but we realize that with you as Lord... It's the one leading us and guiding us. We become victorious over situations of life. We begin to reign over circumstances rather than be reigned over by them. That whom the Son has set free is free once and for all, free indeed. The power of the blood, it never has lost its power to heal, to deliver, to set free, to make whole. I thank you, Lord, for the blood of Christ sprinkled on that mercy seat, that place where mercy triumphs over judgment, that each one would realize they are no longer subject to Adam's sin, their own sin or sin that has been imposed upon them, but they can be once and for all free, that they might realize and recognize a newness of life with you as Lord. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I just ask you this morning, you may have prayed a prayer before thinking about salvation in heaven, Never thought of it this way, I need him to be the Lord of my life. I've been running my life my own way and it hasn't been working out. Or you may be here and say, I've, I've never prayed. I've gone to church all my life. I've never asked Jesus to actually be the Lord, the master of my life. And there we read in Romans chapter 10, it says that if you'll go ahead and declare him as Lord of your life because you believe that he died for your sin, God raised him from the dead so that you would be forgiven and justified. If you believe that with your heart and declare him to be the Lord of your life, that in that declaration, you break the lordship, the power of sin that was controlling things in your life. You break the power of that. And now a new position, lordship of Jesus, has taken over from that place of sin. He's forgiven you and washed you of the past, and now you're a new creation. Governed through that right relationship with Jesus Christ. Whether you prayed that prayer before or this would be the first time that you had entered into that relationship with Jesus Christ. I just ask you to raise your hand. Nobody's looking around. I want to pray with you this morning. You say, today, I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life. I have prayed for him to be Savior, but not Lord. Or I've not even prayed at all. Would you raise your hand? I want to pray with you this morning. Anybody at all? Don't want to leave without giving you that opportunity. I believe today is the day for your life to be changed. I see that hand. See that hand. Praise the Lord. Anybody else? You say, today's the day I'm going to make Jesus the Lord of my life. No longer allowing sin, no longer allowing my own desires. Anyone else? Praise the Lord. Let's all just pray this together. You may have prayed this before, but now with the realization that I'm I'm relinquishing the mastery of my life to Him. Say, Father God, I come to you this morning ready to lay my life down. In doing so, I ask you to come into my heart and be the master of my life. I believe that you died for my sin, that God raised you from the dead so that I could be justified, fully forgiven, and enter into a relationship with you. So I receive that now. Thank you for saving me, equipping me to live life with you, no longer bound by sin, but guided by righteousness. In Jesus' name, amen. Say this, we go, what God did in Christ Jesus? Far exceeds. Any damage done to me? By Adam's fall. You can be dismissed. Make it a great day.